Good morning again. Okay. <laughs> See, we're low budget. We're low budget, right? We're not. <laughs> we're just. We just love the Lord. All right. So we listen. Listen. We just got finished doing. Jo- we finished Genesis, right? Which we had started Genesis a while back. Stopped. Came back to Joseph. Finished that. We've done Genesis. We did Hebrews. We've done James. Uh, and a whole bunch of and most of John. Most of John. If you have to go back someday, did the Sermon on the Mount. We've done a lot of, we go through the scriptures, and we're not ready to jump into the next book study yet, okay? We're going to do a little series on spiritual warfare. I felt very strongly led to do that, and I don't know how long that's going to take. Because if you want, you can take a whole year, because it's, 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 uh, it's a big topic. Um, and so some of these will be more sermon like and some of these will be lecture like and some will be a cross between two but the goal is to getting understanding of god's word okay so there's obviously a main text for spiritual warfare we're gonna we'll just go there first that will eventually be our main text but we're gonna have a lot of text going along the way okay and today is going to be mainly just introduction so i'm not gonna get super diving in but turn to ephesians 6 Okay, that's the main text. That's one of the main texts, but it's the one that comes to everyone's mind. Chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. So go to Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I'm just going to read that, and I may touch upon the first verse. I may, because I got some introductory things. Because I have to understand that not everyone listening to the sound of my voice actually has my own perspective on spiritual matters. Right? I get young people who who are faced with all kinds of stuff. I got people online. I got... You know, people are different understandings, and so I have to take it slowly, okay? I want to be able to be methodical. Sound good? Okay, so Ephesians 6, verse 10. And this is, again, this is just introductory. I'm not going to dive into this too much today, just maybe glancing at it. We're just going to do introductory stuff. First of all, Paul is finishing up his letter. He says, finally which we'll explain is not just a finally because I'm finishing up the letter and i got to tie up loose ends. The finally here is going to tie to the rest of the letter, which we'll see. Okay, There's a, a direct connection between everything he talks about here and things he's talked about before in that letter, which we'll get into in later weeks. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly place. These are spiritual uh, rulers and powers, dark spiritual rulers and powers that have tremendous power in the spiritual realm, okay? Uh, These are unseen, but they are very real. And they're in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and in addition to all taking up having taken up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, also the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit. And to this end, 
being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Then I'll go to verse 20 and then we'll stop. As well as on my behalf, Paul's saying, pray for me as well, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains so that in proclaiming it I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. I'm going to stop there. Okay. So I got three three headings I'm going to try to tackle today. First of all, what is spiritual warfare? Okay. Uh, what's the second heading? I lost my channel. Oh yeah. Why do we need to study it? <laughs> and what are some foundational principles we have to have coming into this uh, and coming into? Okay. So what is spiritual warfare? Why do we need to study it? And thoroughly, how do we begin? What are those principles to start some foundational things? Okay. And to a lot of us, we've heard this before. Some of us have not. Okay, so if it's a reminder, let it be a holy reminder. Okay, first of all, um, what is spiritual warfare? Here's the way it is: anything that opposes the things of God. I mean, that's just a general, basic definition. Any opposition to the things of God. As Christians, we face opposition every day, don't we? Uh, there's things that are constantly coming against what we want to do in God. Uh, whether we want to be faithful or we want to pray more, whatever it is, and there's opposition, that's spiritual warfare. Uh, if there's no opposition, there's no warfare. Warfare, But we all feel it. We all sense it. If you've ever uh, tried to live for God and found it, how many of you guys have tried to live for God and found it difficult? Okay. That's spiritual warfare. All right. Uh, if you find it, how many of you guys have found it hard to pray? Only me. Okay, so... <laughs> how many of you find it hard to read your bible okay that's spiritual warfare there's that opposition you may, maybe you've 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 uh you've sought out to okay it's a new year how many guys have decided to do a one-year reading of the bible or some reading of the bible plan at the beginning of the year come on you know you, jo- you just joined la fitness for your physical fitness and then you had decided to do a reading the, the method we all all done there right and then you, it's what day is today okay and you're already still behind now three days because you're on day day four right all right if you've wanted to uh to serve god and got resistance uh if you have been at odds with people that's spiritual warfare Here's one. Uh, you know the truths of the Scripture, right? You know that Jesus loves you. You know that he, he rose from the dead. He's powerful. But for some reason, you've had a hard time applying it to yourself and say, well, that's for everyone else but me. These verses I read, I have a hard time embracing that and applying it to myself and accepting it and receiving it. I, I think that's for everyone else because I'm the special case because that's spiritual warfare. You see that? I'm the, I'm the exception. See, that's what the devil does. He gets you alone by yourself and tries to say, well, you're the exception. He loves everyone else but you. And it's all. Spiritual warfare is how do you go from that to by faith stepping in and say, that's for me as well, and doing it with confidence in the Lord. And if you have a hard time, it's, you're facing warfare. Because the last thing the devil wants you to do is accept the words of Christ, the truth of Christ. You know, Jesus even says, when he's, here's a sower planting a seed, right? And one of the seeds, that the seeds that don't get received, that he, I'm paraphrasing, you guys know this, I'm paraphrasing, 
Satan takes those seed and he steals it. So they don't believe it or you know, receive it. If you've avoided God or the things of God, maybe for whatever reason, that's spiritual warfare. You've got to understand that there is an entire network in the spiritual realm, and we just read that, the powers and the rulers, authorities, all, dark, all that stuff, that is whole, the whole existence of Satan and his spiritual minions, his generals, is to oppose the things of God, and that goes to opposing you as a Christian. If he can cause you to not walk in the things that God has planned for you, he's won a little bit of victory there, right? And by the way, if God has a significant call in your life, he will start that process of prevention years earlier. You see this in Jesus' life. For example, here's Jesus, barely a baby. Okay, Magi come, we saw this at Christmas. He's two, probably one and a half, two years old. And Herod wants to destroy him. Why? Because Satan is working through Herod to try to try destroy Christ because he knows what Christ will do in the coming years. He will try to prevent that. The same thing with Moses. Right? Moses, they try to destroy all the babies and there's baby Moses floating on the Nile in this little longer burger basket or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> and that was Satan trying to prevent God's plan for Moses. So sometimes the warfare, warfare comes because God wants to use you in a significant way and he will fight. To, by the way, how many of you guys have ever served in the military? A couple of you guys. Okay. I pray that you've never seen war, but if you had seen war, if you have, and you're, and you're camped out in the, you know, the, not the dugouts, what's the, uh, whatever the, the foxholes, you know, and, and I'm talking more than watching, ever watch Hogan's Heroes and, you know, it's more than, that's not a joke. It's, you are, you are probably fully armored day and night. You probably have your helmet, you have all that, because you can't even let down your guard because the enemy is, he's waiting, looking for that weakness, that weak spot, drop down your guard, bam. You almost have to go about living your life realizing that 24-7 we are a target. Now, there's good news here, right? Because he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So there's, some, there's some, but I just want to lay out the, the reality is, is that we are in spiritual warfare. And of course, it's been th- but that way from the beginning. You, you go to Genesis 3. We know Genesis 3, don't we? Here's the serpent. Right? By the way, when I was in seminary, the whole discussion, was that a snake? Was that a really a, was that, listen, Revelation says that's the serpent of old that was there. Maybe there was a real snake, but there was somebody behind that snake. How does this snake know the things of God? <laughs> no ordinary snake. Maybe snakes talk back then. Who knows, right? But whoever's working behind this snake, who the scripture calls the dragon, the serpent of old, in Revelation 19 and 20, you know, uh, that, that snake is, is bent on getting man to oppose God. And guess what happens? That's what, he, that's what happened. Adam and Eve sinned. Oppose God. You guys still with me? Okay, I want to. I just want to. Uh, just, I'm just laying out some groundwork today. Jesus faced spiritual battle. Um, again, when he was a baby, um, at, at the the beginning of his ministry. Go to Luke chapter four. Go to Luke chapter four. Uh, there's a couple. Yeah, Luke four. Let's go there. <clears throat> and this is 
you know, again, there's a, I could probably point to examples, look for all kinds of examples in the Old Testament. You have Job. I mean, I'd, basically, I mean, Bible characters in the Old, in Old Testament had been opposed uh, and were in spiritual warfare. You know, Job is, um, uh, Satan comes to God and says, you know, Job just follows you because you bless him. And, and God says, okay, you can have at it with him, but spare him his life. And so Satan takes away his family. And takes away his stuff. And Job has no idea what's going on. He is suffering. He's, he has lost everything. And he has no idea that he's actually on display. God says, that's my righteous servant Job. And he doesn't understand. The heavenly realms, there's something else going on. And what he's experiencing is because he's being tested. And he's being displayed that says, my servant is faithful. Anyway. So in Luke 4, here's the here's scene. Jesus comes and he goes... Um, he announces his ministry. Well, first of all, I'm going to skip on through. Oh, boy. Be patient with me because there's a lot I want to share. When I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking I can probably spend a whole year on this alone. There's a big bite this wall here, right? Jesus had come. <clears throat> this is after his... He's already been tempted. Look for beginning of chapter 4. He is sent into the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days. And after he fasts for 40 days, then he's tempted by the devil, Right? By the way, that temptation of Jesus was greater than any temptation you and I will ever experience. Why? Not because he had fallenness in him, because he didn't. But because he had he was utterly weakened physically, right? And and the like we experienced temptation to a certain degree, he experienced temptation to a much, much higher degree. Now there's a there's a debate in, in theological circles. Was it was was Jesus able to sin or not able to sin? That I'm not going to get into all the discussion. The point is these were intense temptations. Of course, he passes, and we'll get into that later on. He goes to Nazareth. He goes to his hometown. He he goes and look at verse 16. He comes to Nazareth when he had been brought, uh, where he had been brought up, and it was his custom. He enters the synagogue of the Sabbath and stood up to read. He reads the prophet Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed and proclaim the real Lord. That's spiritual warfare right there. Why? Because there are people who are blind, there are people in bondage, people trapped. And Jesus comes and says, I've come to do something about that. Okay. In fact, I think many times Jesus comes and says, I'm going to pick a fight with the devil. In fact, he does that when he goes to uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi and he goes before this big, huge black cave. We were there in, in May. And he says, Peter says, you know, he says uh, to Peter, who, are, who, who do people say I am? And they said, you're John the Baptist, you're Moses, you're prophets, and who do you say? Peter says, you're the Christ. He goes, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, right? By the way, on that rock, he's standing before a place called the Gates of Hell, which had uh, Roman pagan uh, uh, beliefs and temples actually there. And it's almost like he's going in and picking a fight with the devil and says, I'm going to build my church right here on your doorstep, devil. See, God, see, Jesus is not, not afraid to go into the darkest areas, to the most bondage of areas, if that's, a, if that's a term, to the most intensive places to set captives free. 
He makes a beeline across the Sea of Galilee for one man that's possessed by a thousand demons. Society gave him up. Psychiatrists, psychologists, medical, all this, any, everyone gave up on this man. And Jesus Christ says, I'm going to set that person free because he is hopeless and helpless without my help. And so if you are in that place where you think, I, there's nothing I can do about it, praise God that you have a Savior who is willing, who is able to go and set people free from the worst of things. You say, there's no hope for me? Jesus Christ is proof that there is. And he will come and be that victor. The, he, he's that, he's, you know, we think about, um, superheroes that come and save the day, right? He's the epitome of that. Those guys are nothing compared to Christ. So whatever bondage or discouragement or hopelessness that you, are, you have been in, you, like, know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and comes to do that. Amen? Amen. Watch this. So, so he does that, right? <clears throat> and then he gets into trouble. Watch this. He closes the scroll, verse 20, gives it back to the attendant, sits down, everyone's watching him. He says, today, verse 21, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And of course, they're in shock. They're all speaking well of him, marveling at the gracious words which are coming forth through his lips. And then they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Like, wait a second. <laughs> He's the carpenter's son. We know Joe. Yeah. Joe and Mary. They weren't Italian, but I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing an Italian couple, you know. And then he says, hey, no doubt, verse 23, you're going to quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard take place in Capernaum, do it here also in your own town. And then Jesus says, a prophet's not welcome. He says, we know you. And so there's resistance. They don't want to accept him. Why? Because they know him. They think he's Naomi. We've watched you grow up. And then all of a sudden you're coming and saying these words, uh, hard to believe, right? That's why it's sometimes it's hard to it's for some people who are raised in the church are often sometimes the ones that are harder to reach because they've heard it all. They've, they think they've seen it all. And so they tune you, they've tuned you out. I know the story. I know this. And they're, they're so well aware and so accustomed to the things of God. But like I said, that light has to penetrate their own darkness. Right? That's why it's interesting that Jesus' own family didn't believe him. They want to go take him away. Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. Jesus says, who's my mother? And who's my brothers, my sisters? They're the ones who are here believing in me. Now, later on, after the resurrection, his brother, half-brother, James, and Jude, they do come to faith in him. After, but during the life, his life, his own brothers didn't believe in him. Boy, is that hard. Right? So look what they do in, in his hometown. Verse 28, I'm just going to skip down because he, he challenges it. Verse 28, for all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard the things. You would think they say, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're our Savior. His own town buddies, they said, verse 29, they stood up and drove him out of the city and led him to the edge of the hill. We went there actually in Nazareth. It's, it's, it's kind of like this, it's great, great view. But boy, if you go over that edge, you're in, <laughs> you're hurting, you know? And they wanted to, they stood up to drive him out of the city and led him to the edge of the hill which their city was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went out there. This is the beginning of his ministry. The first day, right? Or the first days, he went to Nazareth. Right? The first days, he's coming in. After the 40 days, he's just got 
re-nourished, right? But, you know, and he's been through all that. He goes to his hometown, and they reject They want to kill him the first day. Now, if that's not spiritual warfare, I don't know what is. Now, by the way, if Jesus experienced that, you and I will experience that. If you read the book of Revelation, which maybe one day we'll do that book, guess what? Jesus has messages for churches there, actual churches. Only two churches get off the hook. <laughs> Most of the seven churches he writes to, and, and five out of the seven, he has some commendations for most of them, except for one, and some correction. And a lot of them, they were living in cities that were known worshipers of, well, he calls it a synagogue of Satan, which actually was a temple to Zeus, right? That's a whole other story. I'm getting off track here. But his warning to that early, those early churches was the opposition that we're facing. Now, I don't know about you. I look at the world today, and this is why, this is why I feel burdened about this. We are, we are in the midst of a, it's almost as if Satan has turned up the heat even more, Right? Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. So here's what Jesus does. Keep going on, Luke. Stay with me and look. He goes next to Capernaum. This is where Peter will live. We went to Capernaum. We actually went to the synagogue that was built on top of that synagogue. It was amazing. We saw the black, sort of like volcanic stones. Remember that? And on top of that were the, like the limestone looking, you know, and they said, okay, this is limestone from the, third century but below it it says these stones are from jesus's synagogue so we were there and now he goes to capernaum and he's teaching them on the sabbath verse 32 they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority because all the rabbis would say hey rabbi so-and-so says this rabbi so-and-so no one had no one had the authority to said this is this and this is that and that's it right but jesus comes and says hey these words are fulfilled in your hearing that's authority, right? Now here comes a man, verse 33, in the synagogue who was possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon. No doubt this man had attended the synagogue for years. For years, he probably attended the synagogue. He sat down on the benches. We, we were there. He sat down, and it was probably like any other Sabbath day, except the Son of God showed up. Oh, may, God, may God's Son show up at our church, Right? <laughs> may not be that we're just so used to playing church that Jesus Christ comes in one day and all you know what breaks sleuth. Here comes this man and I don't know where this demon speaks out of this man's body. He cries out with a loud voice. Slow down. I did have a little bit of coffee. Hold on. <laughs> Homemade coffee, praise God. I mean, Keurig made coffee, right? He cries out with the loud voice, voice, verse 33, verse 34. Let us alone. This is the demon speaking through that man. Let us alone. That What do we have to do with you, Jesus the Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is a demon speaking. I've never heard a demon speak, but if it did, I would freak, it would probably freak me out. 
you say, well, that was so long ago, you know, that's just tough. That's just all, you know, superstition, you know, that's, that's, that's you know, in the medieval times they had that kind of, but we're, we live in modern days, you know, we have science, we have understanding, we have, we're so, you know, we're so smart in our science, in science, science and intellectualism, we are better at making war with one another, aren't we? We're better at killing people. We're better at destroying everything that God has given us. So don't put yourself, you can put your science and lower it low down to bow to the knee of Jesus. By the way, Jesus affirms spiritual realities here. This is him confronting with the powers of darkness. See, I don't believe in the power of darkness. Guess what? Darkness has already blinded you. The problem is that, oh, oh boy, I'm, I'm going to preach now. <laughs> the problem is that even in the church, we stop believing in, in spiritual realities and supernatural realities. And we are we are confronted with every day. This demon was paralyzed and petrified of Jesus. see Jesus confronting, I mean confronting. Go, go to Luke 11. Go, just skip with me. I'm just going to take a couple more verses. More verses. Luke 11. Again, this is just, I don't know, just kind of setting the tone. And of course, he gets resistance from the, the, the religious leaders, though. Look at verse 20, uh, verse 14, rather, eleven fourteen, And he was casting out a demon, and he was mute. By the way, there's a correlation oftentimes between demonic influence and physical ailment. Not every time, but there is often times. In fact, there's times in, in the scripture where there's a direct correlation. There was a lady who, who was bleeding for 12 years, and Jesus says, Satan has this woman in this condition for 12 years. Okay, we'll not get into that just now. It doesn't mean that every single ailment is from the devil. I'm just saying there's often a correlation between what happens in the spiritual realm and the material realm. And a lot of times we're so blind to not even see it. But I'm not you guys. Just I have a lot of rabbit trails today. <laughs> just Okay. Now when it happened that when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. It tells me that the demon causes, causes muteness. Doesn't mean every single time, but this time there was a correlation. That's what happened, and the crowds marveled. And some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. See, that's opposition right there. You're not doing the things of God, you're doing the things of the devil. I'm setting people free. How is that the things of the devil? Well, that's sometimes they're. And others are testing him and seeking from him a sign. They just didn't want to believe. He knew their thought, thoughts, and he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. Why is it? What is he saying? He's saying, well, he says in verse 18, If Satan is divided against himself, he will, his, how will his kingdom stand? In other words, if he's casting himself out, his kingdom is divided and it will not stand. Keep reading. Uh, but if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast, if by Beelzebul I cast out demons, 
By whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. Here it is, verse 20. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There it is, watch this. Because spiritual warfare is this. It's the confrontation uh, and the opposition of the kingdom of God to the kingdom of darkness. It is direct assault on the kingdom of darkness. You see that? And Jesus wastes no time. The first day of his ministry, he's casting out demons. And the first day of his ministry, there's opposition to that. So why do we need spiritual warfare? That's my second heading, and I'm not sure if I'll get to my third, but I'll try. By the way, I skipped one intense one. It was the Garden of Gethsemane. Because if Jesus faced temptation in Luke chapter 4 after 40 days of, 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 of fasting, at the Garden of Gethsemane, you can look at Luke 22, it doesn't say specifically there's a temptation, but you can insinuate that there is a test here because my will or the Father's will is at stake here. And Jesus says, not my will be done. Because he says, Father, can, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. There's a, there it is, there's, there's a test there. And the devil always tried to get you to assert your will over God's will or somebody else's will. It's not what I want, God. Well, that's you then trying to assert your will over God's will. Does that make sense? Guess what? We fight, we fight that every day. You understand that? There's this, that's why we have to daily take up our cross. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross daily. That's spiritual warfare. Why? Because it's not just the devil telling me things. The devil has a, a partner within you called the flesh. A traitor that wants to do the things that feel good, that make sense to me logically, but are opposed to the things of God. So he's got a traitor in the midst. He's got a mole within you called the flesh. Not your, not your, not your flesh like that. The flesh is that part of you, of your fallen, of the fallen, which we'll get into, that sort of has this inclination towards the things opposed to God. Does that make sense? And we all feel it. We all know as Christians, we know there are things we want to do. We don't, Paul says, a rich, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. There's that struggle, right? So there's that test. So why do we need a spiritual warfare? Of course, we need to study it because the spiritual world is real. It is real. And the spiritual world, of course, impacts our lives. And it has impacted our lives. And so that's one reason. Another reason is that there's the tr- truth is being attacked. Right? The fact that you have to define what truth is, or you say, well, truth, that's true for you, it's not true for me, with the whole subjective thing, that's an attack on truth. Yeah. Right? Is there absolute truth or subjective truth? See, the person who says there's subjective truth, you say, well, do you believe that absolutely? <laughs> you just confess to believing and absolute truth. See, truth is not subjective. It's not based on what you feel or think. It's based on Jesus Christ. 
he's before Pilate, and Pilate says, what is truth? Even Pilate asked that question. Truth is a person. That's where, the rea- that's where the battle is. The kingdom of God rules by truth, and the kingdom of darkness rules by lies and deception. And the fall of man falling into the kingdom of darkness, the pathway to that was believing the lie. And everything else in the kingdom of darkness foundationally is based on lies and deception. That's why you don't trust your politicians. That's why you don't trust certain people. Why? Because by nature, we are children of wrath. We, you don't have to teach a kid to tell a lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. Why? Because that's, that's opposed. See that? All right? So truth is under attack. And now you see this you know, we had modernism, we believed in science and postmodern, and there's post postmodernism. You know, we don't believe in science anymore. Well, what do you believe in? Well, now you start inventing all this stuff. And the truth is foundational. That's why Jesus says, here's a man who's wise. He takes what I say and he applies it to his life, and his life will be grounded on the cement bedrock of, of my, my truth. And when the winds and the waves do come, because they will come, he'll, he'll be able to stand. Why? Because his life is built on the rock. And all of society is not built on the rock. That's why things are rising and falling and tension and calm. Don't think that anything is going to change. It won't. Why? Because it's built on the sandy foundation of lies and deception. And if self affirmation and self-promotion why do we need spiritual welfare because there is attack on on the church oh boy i'm going to run out of time here you guys are gracious i'm not going to finish but that's okay i have a lot to say guys there's attack on the church even the apostles recognize it even jesus recognized that um the apostle paul recognized that Go with me two scriptures, then then we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll, we'll finish up. And uh, I promised you three headings, and I, I want to get to at least. Okay, go with me. Oh boy, go with Matthew twenty six. Matthew twenty six, just one verse, verse forty one. Matthew twenty six. Go with me there. Um. Uh, 20, uh, Matthew 26, 36 first. This is the scene at the Garden of Gethsemane. Those of us who went to Israel in May, we were there. And guess what? Watch what happens here. Jesus comes with them to a place called Gethsemane. And his disciples, he said to his disciples, see here why I go over there and pray. He goes and prays. He says, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Verse 38. Remain here and keep watch. All right. Guys, stay here, watch. And the insinuation is watch and pray. Okay, this is like, you know, this is he's gonna be betrayed that night. And this is it's all coming. His hour has now come, right? To go to the cross. And the ultimate all the victories along the way of spiritual battle is now coming to a head right now, coming into Gethsemane as he's he, it's it's the it's that last hour. 
He comes to his disciples, verse 40, and found them sleeping. That's a lot of what the church is doing today. We are sleeping. We're so busy, busy bickering and, and getting caught up in things that are, that are not eternal. I want you to understand, you've got to have an eternal perspective in life. Okay, we're not promised many years in this world you know, and in existence. And by the way, don't, don't say, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll find out when I die if there's a God, right? It's too late because if you're wrong, you're eternally dead wrong for all of eternity with no way out. Where was I at? What verse was I? <laughs> 40. He found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me one hour? You understand, you guys know this, that during this ministry, it's as if the disciples were so caught up and, Oh, we want to have our place in the kingdom. We have, when are we gonna? And the only person who got it was Mary, who's washing his feet, who's who's praying, who's anointing him, they, they don't realize the eternal consequence. What he sees is far more important than what they were seeing in the nat- natural. And I'm telling you, their perspective was they had no idea. So Jesus comes back and he says this. After he prays, he finds him sleeping. He says, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter the temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Not only is he enduring spiritual battle, but right there and then, he's saying, pray and watch. Why? Because the battle is even with you guys. Because eventually they're going to come and you're going to want to save yourselves and you're going to flee away from what she predicted. But the spiritual battle was going on and they had no idea. They were sleeping. It's time we wake up. Oh, boy. That's why Peter says, be sober of spirit on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And somebody says, oh yeah, a roaring lion has no teeth. That's nonsense. Go to Africa and hear a lion roar. Are you going to take the chance if he has no teeth? That's ridiculous. A toothless lion doesn't roar to devour. He's already dead. Don't think the devil is, is, is some wimp that you can go. Those guys on TV are nonsense. Don't think you could just go and say, and, 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 and in one sense be disrespectful to somebody with the authority or the power of the devil, even though Jesus has more. Even, it says, Michael didn't rebuke him. The Michael the angel, angel says, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't bring an accusation of the devil against the devil. He left that to the Lord. Does that make sense? Let me just finish with one thing, okay? Here's, uh, what do we begin? I'm just going to give you one foundational principle and we'll, we'll lead into the communion because I have, I have too much to share and praise God, we're going to have fun with this study. <laughs> foundational principle, I'm going to give you one and it's real basic, but it's foundational. And you guys know this, that Jesus Christ has already won the war. Jesus Christ is already the victor. Amen. We don't fight from the position of failure. He's already won the war. 
Okay, so don't think you have to win the war for Jesus. He has already won. Here's the principle. The devil is already defeated. Okay? Is he still fighting? Yes. And that's where our battle comes in. He knows he's defeated, but he's going to try to take down as many people with him. And he's very effective at doing that. If he could deceive a third of the angels who have seen God. Now think about this. One third of the angels. The angels are numerous. Myriads upon myriads. I don't think there's, I don't think there's Greek words for like quadrillions, you know. <laughs> okay. And a third of them fell being deceived by the devil. And these angels seen God. You understand that, right? What possibility do you and I have against him? But having the help of Jesus Christ and pouring over his word and being in prayer and being so dependent on him, we are nothing compared to him. But Jesus Christ, who is our victor and he is our champion, he is our captain, he has not left us defenseless, but we stand and we say, Jesus Christ has won the war. Now, let me walk in that victory. And let me learn how to do that. A couple of scriptures. What's that? He did. In fact, I'm going to read that right here. I'm going to read a couple of uh, scriptures and then we're, going to, uh, then we're going to go into communion. Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise also partake of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In fact, it says in Ephesians that Ephesians 4 it says that he led, he led captive a host of captives. That means that Jesus came in and took the hostages out that the devil had and led them to freedom. And he disarmed the rulers, as it says in, in, in I think in the Colossians. I didn't have it in my notes here. He disarmed them. Come over one more verse, or two more verses. First um, Corinthians fifteen fifty six says, "The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law." But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more verse, Romans five eighteen to twenty one. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so one act of righteousness, that's Christ, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners. Adam's sin, we all became sinners. Even so through the obedience of the one, Jesus, the many were made righteous. The law came in so that transgression may increase. That means you... You fail to live up to the law. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the victor. He's already won. And that's where we'll start as we begin. There's a lot of, in fact, there's probably another foundational thing that I talk about. But let's just, just remember this. We are in a battle. It's a real battle. And we're going to need the enablement of God to fight this battle. And that's why he says, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might. Amen. Let me, let's pray. Father, I know, Lord, we just, we're not even barely scratching the surface, surface Lord, but we, we, we understand and we acknowledge, first of all, that, that your word is truth. Uh, we, we accept the authority of the scripture. We accept the realities that Jesus taught us. We understand, Lord, that we are in a battle. We also understand that the the war has been won in the sense that, as they'll say in the book of Revelation, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. In other words, that Jesus Christ not only is victory, victorious and is king in heaven, one day he will be king over this whole entire earth. Lord, we recognize as believers in you, those of us who are believers, that we are in a spiritual battle and we depend and need you for help. God, I pray first of all, Lord, that we would look to you in the midst of our battles, that we would rest on the truth of your word, receive what the word says about us, and turn to you in trust and prayer. Lord, I pray that we begin to prepare our hearts for communion. That we would reflect on and remember that had it not been for the cross, we would not even be able to sing a victory. That there would be no hope for us. But because, Lord, you did t- take on yourself the sins of the world. You became a man to live a perfect life, to be our representative on that cross, to receive and atone for our sins and receive the the punishment, the wrath of God. And because you did that, three days later, Lord, you were risen again and you're alive today. So, Lord, as we, as we prepare our hearts to receive your communion, let us reflect, Lord, on, on the victory that you won. A battle that we had no ability to enter into. But like David, who faced Goliath, was a representative of the people, Lord, you are our representative, and you took on a giant far bigger than Goliath, and you killed him. You defeated him, rather. And so, Lord... We say thanks, Lord. We thank you and praise you, Lord. We thank you for the victory that has already been won. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to praise you more, to appreciate you more, and to live with discernment over the schemes of the devil and live fully surrendered to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.